You're listening to Fundraising Illuminated, a podcast where development officers, advancement services professionals, and other fundraising leaders offer their views on subjects related to fundraising. I'm your host, Erin Lynch-Moran, a partner and co-founder of The Solus Group. We are a fundraising analytics and data modeling firm. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Please be sure to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. We live in the information age. In a matter of seconds, we can search for detailed information on an infinite array of topics. In fundraising, we can now partner with vendors who can give us detailed insights on our prospective donors, making it possible for us to pinpoint the best available prospects and engage them in the ways that they prefer. In today's episode, I'm talking with Richard Horn, Director of Prospect Development at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, part of Beth Israel Leahy Health and Teaching Hospital for Harvard University. Richard and I share our thoughts on how the ubiquity of prospect data changes the landscape for prospect researchers, repositioning their emotional intelligence as an essential job qualification. There's so much information out there right now. My head kind of spins when I look at all of the different resources that you can tap into. And I know you're probably using a lot of them. Most of our listeners who are researchers are probably aware of a lot of things that may not have even been out there five years ago. I think the availability of all of that information, obviously it's good for research on its face, but it also comes with some challenges. So I'm wondering what the challenges are that you see in adapting to having that many more resources? That's a great, that's a big question. We're actually competing with search engine optimization, which is, it might sound like from Google's point of view, that they're attempting to deliver to you results they think you will find most valuable super quickly, but it's actually not true. People are paying for things to be put in front of you. Your own lifestyle may influence the results set that you're going to get in uh, from search engine optimization. Data visualization is also something that is a challenge because conveying data in a way that means something to the people that you need to influence so that they can make good strategic decisions that you feel pretty strongly about because you've been swimming in the data and now you're trying to distill down the stuff, right? That's, that is not an easily wrought skill set. I mean, I'm not great at it. I know there are people that are, and I think that they're probably worth every penny. So great data visualization is definitely, you know, something that our uh, sector struggles with where what we're trying to do is interrogate data or information, distill it, and then represent it. That's a great field uh, for sure. What you said about search engine optimization is something that I've never heard somebody comment on that. And I think that that just kind of blew my mind a little bit because it's true. And I'm thinking about all of the different ways that could influence somebody's ability to conduct research. And you mentioned data visualization too, which I like to think is kind of a way of helping people consume vast quantities of information very quickly and sort of put it in a format that they can go immediately from gathering the data to making a decision. And it kind of brings up a larger question I have about all of these resources, because at some point, I remember getting to a point when I was working more directly in prospect development, where I just started thinking, you know, is more information better or is it just more? 
what are the ways that I can be most supportive of my fundraising colleagues through putting this together? You know, what are the things that I can do that will help clarify things for them and support their strategy? I might have access to tons of information if I Google somebody, but not all of that is going to help a development officer build a relationship with that person. I would agree. And I think it comes down to prioritization of information to sell the case. So we're also internal sales, I think. What you share should be compelling. You should organize the information from a sea of information, right? You're actually giving them a bit of a roadmap and saying, here's what the gift capacity is. Here's why we just said that's true. And here's the data we believe that you should be aware of. We put all of this into one paragraph, but it's a selling point. We want someone to be feeling very good about that this is a great opportunity for someone in the portfolio. So I started out, when I started doing prospect research, it was about 20 years ago. And now all of this information is, is available electronically. And there's plenty more besides that. And the, the electronic nature of it helps you make these connections to information between different data points that you wouldn't be able to make. How does all of that change the fundamental nature of prospect development? I think how it changes it is it causes us to wonder how any particular person, how are they best equipped to do their work? And I think that's how it's fundamentally changed. It feels to me like in times gone by, it was a matter of, did you have enough warm bodies to be going to do all of this stuff in a timely fashion? And I feel like now with the proliferation of information online, there seems to be an improved ability for vendors to connect data. And that's an interesting concept. So then the question I think becomes, and I think this is a new paradigm, how do you engage your team to figure out whether or not you should hire a new person or add new tools? I think that's where we are right now. Um, and, I, and I think that should feel good. And I don't, I'm not talking about people losing their jobs and that I don't see that at all. My partner, Ron, calls it HI, human intelligence, you know, because we talk so much about AI. He reminds me that there's nothing that really beats HI. I'm, I'm, I'm in that camp. I'm in that camp, Aaron. For right? sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that the AI isn't fantastic. It is. It's wonderful. It's just yep, yep. you have to have both. And I think that's kind of what you're saying. I mean, this is a relationship business. So human beings are incredibly complex. The human brain is extremely complex relationships therefore are highly nuanced so helping people see you know who are the people that should be the focus of your work and how can i authentically develop trusting respectful relationships with them such that they would entrust me with their hard-earned money right yeah no no doubt i mean if you think about a, a service line like hematology and oncology that's a rough that's a rough place you know, the fundraisers who support that, they lose people. I mean, that's very difficult. Um, and so, and so you've got these, you've got these folks and, you know, that want always though to lift them up as much as we can to feel good about what the work is that they might have to do that day. And we don't want anybody to be concerned about whether the effectiveness of the information is, you know, it's not sort of in, in question. It sounds as though you take a really individual approach is that fair to say? And how do you how does that play out when you're when you're managing staff? Yeah. So 
I think the way that that works is you always want to know what people's interests are and what their abilities are. And I don't think that should be left to me to decide. That should be part of a regular discussion so that anyone, anybody can take a right turn at any point and say, you know what, I want to be part of this. And I hope everybody listening to this would understand that you really do need to cultivate the entirety of a team because the people who are a little more longstanding, if they're content, then what they're doing is actually helping to mentor and cultivate the more junior folks, right? There is a lot of data to back up the notion that losing people is is costly. And also that when you show just a, a human level of interest in other people, when you fundamentally care about them, they know that. They, they can sense that and it contributes so much to their peace and well-being at work and their, their interest in helping the cause. And I think you're absolutely right also that people who are not sensing that are, you know, they become disengaged and then they're not, it's not that they're trying to fail, but they're just not going to be as successful. Yeah, I, I think so. And, I, you know, and we're always trying to help one another, you know, being across teams and stuff like that. So, but within, I would say within prospect management, probably in full boy, those prospect management people don't have it easy. Uh, that's another way that things have changed significantly is you have a support apparatus that is trying to share priority action recommendations based on data with people who do the work and are out there, and it's not us. Prospect management folks definitely have it, and they can have it very tough because they're going to get they're getting squeezed between this notion of like we're pushing people into a pipeline, and then the other side the question is like, but how many of those are really good prospects? You know. Yeah, and often I think we fall victim of this idea that wealth equals good prospect, which of course is not the case, and I think it can be very frustrating for our colleagues who are development officers, if if that is as far as our thinking goes when we're doing prospect identification. Yep. We have something that, you know, sort of a seesaw. It's, it's like a balance between wealth and warmth. So wealth, of course, would be the indicators of capacity, five-year pledge capacity, if we are the most possible, right? And that's, I think that's best practice. And you got, on the other side, a very much softer calculus. It's like, what does warmth mean? <laughs> and, you know, so you could look into your database uh, that warmth tends to be connectedness agnostic to giving. And uh, you're trying to figure out, like, sort of what is that? So we had one intern, Rachel Burns. Um, she subsequently went on to get uh, her master's in statistics from Georgia Tech. She definitely deserves that shout out. So she was a senior, uh, spent some time with us, and we asked her to figure out for cardiology and surgery whether or not for those service lines, if she can help us interrogate the data in a way using a home-built algorithm that she just kind of makes up, how we should prioritize prospects for assignment considerations or you know research considerations, right? And so, so she first comes up with a seven to three weighted wealth to warmth. So seven parts wealth indicators versus three parts warmth. And she's got this great sort of display and it didn't kind of work for us. And then, uh, at the time, LaShawn Underdue, our uh, associate director of prospect management, was like, you know what? What if we just flip those? Like, what if you what if you just flip seven parts to war- warmth and three parts to wealth? What would it look like? And then we get six people assigned right quick based on the uh, pickiness, I suppose, of the leader of cardiology um, at the time. And so 
that was kind of impressive, and that let us know that recency is kind of important, depth of patient experience is definitely important, and it wouldn't be difficult to design such an algorithm. Don't underestimate the value of warmth. So the recency component of an RFM or something like that is probably maybe more important than we might have anticipated or realized before, because action will follow as opposed to hope or expectation. We just have to try to lift up information and make tools available to leadership so that they can manage their teams properly. And this, you know, the wealth warp thing was kind of a epiphany for us on that point because the leadership knew they could act on that. I love that. Yeah. You're putting your finger on something that I think is a real challenge or source of stress for people in this profession, which is we often get put in the uncomfortable position of kind of being halfway between frontline fundraising and management, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. And you kind of have to have a delicate way of communicating information so that you can be honest with people and give them the information that they need. You never want to be put in a position where you feel like you personally are running to management, giving negative information about yeah. your colleagues. Yep, yep. I mean, like, no, no doubt, no doubt. How do you feel like you guys navigate that there? We've, we've sought transparency through reporting as the first means of supporting management. We set it up in a way that is meant to be a manager's tool. Whenever you run this report, you see everything. You see one table for everybody. And then you also see, I don't know how many, 14 pages of individual fundraiser results in priority order of what they should be doing next. Again, this was all designed with us in conjunction with management. And I think that it gets around the problem of us being the tail that's trying to wag the dog. I, we're just trying to just uh, help them. And I think that that can work that way. The transparency component I know is unique. It's, it's not, it doesn't happen very many places. I would hope that everybody who can can cling to transparency because that does the work for you. Absolutely. Yeah. It takes, of course, management buy-in, but it's so nice when you have it. And I think that does resolve a lot of that tension. One of the things that, you know, that we work with Tableau and one thing that is really helpful with Tableau is it actually lets people subscribe to reporting. And so we've done that a lot. We've recommended that with our clients because it's nice to have something that's just scheduled to go out that everyone is getting. So there's nobody having to raise any red flags. You're catching problems before they happen. Hopefully things don't get to a point where they get tense because the information has been well shared. I think so. So sorry. That's a, what a remarkably good point. The regularity of communication. Don't let anything interrupt it. Just let it be. You're not reacting to something. You're pushing out the same information displayed in the same way all the time. And it is there by the fangs or, you know, extracted from it. it. Also, what has changed probably most fundamentally that I can think about related to what's possible for prospect development to contribute to strategy are interactive visualizations. How many times has it been all along, right? We try our best to anticipate the questions and present the data visually that we think would be most compelling. That gets undermined as soon as a chief development officer or someone else says, does that include tribute gifts? Yeah. It, you know, or whatever, right? Yeah. All, all you would need to do in a new, in kind of the 2.0, which is now, 
is you just basically select out the tribute gifts and say this is exactly what you would want to see and that takes no time. Interactive data visualization is a big, big thing and I think it's where everything should be moving. Yeah, well, you won't get any arguments from me on that, obviously. <laughs> uh, well, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think you, you've got a great point and I think it's it, it helps as a stress reliever because everyone can have confidence when you're making sure that you understand how the data is being pulled and able to intelligently answer questions about the you know, foundational query itself. I think it's nice to have things like that open in meetings, you know, so that when questions come up, you can just quickly answer them rather than have people kind of sit with the question of whether or not something is the case. Yeah, I mean, think about how much time you'll buy back. If you're able to answer a question sufficiently at the point of impact, such that you don't have to then go back and have to build a static display of data to share back with the people who just asked the question, I mean, it's a great efficiency model. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I'd be surprised if anybody's like feeling like that's that's not the way to go. I, I really would prefer to answer questions at the point of impact. I can't possibly predict all of them all the time. I think that that's one of the good ways that, that we're uh, that we're kind of moving ahead. It seems to me in talking to you, you both embrace technology while at the same time always remain clear on the fact that the human element is the priority. And I totally relate to that. I myself feel that people aren't good at this job unless they're really empathetic. Yep. Um, you know, you have to be empathetic for everyone from the prospect to the development officer to your colleagues. It's a sensitive, a lot of sensitive information that you're dealing with for one thing, and you wanna deal with it ethically. And you also wanna really put yourself in the shoes of the person who's receiving the information and do your best to kind of help them because ultimately what we all need is to help people be successful. No, no doubt. I really definitely value and appreciate the talented fundraisers that I've not just worked here, you know, other places too, right? And just like it, it's just like any subset of a profession, you know, you've got some fundraisers that are great. You've got some fundraisers that sort of understand the value of resources like our teams. And then you have some that, that don't, but the I would say, yeah, the empathy, it's empathy and conscientiousness for the most part. So we hire for conscientiousness. And that's a pretty simple target, I think. It's like, do you really feel that somebody's going to be invested in trying to figure out how to do their job continually better? And they really, they can't, it's like a, it's not a switch they can flip off. They have no choice. It's like that's, their family made them that way or, you know, every genetics and all that stuff, right? And that's a, that's a fantastic thing, right? Because then you're just, all you're focused on is hiring good people. And then once you get past that, equip them with the tools they need, you know? And not everybody's the same. And sometimes you'll have a little bit of overlap in some tools because two of your teammates who are very talented need this. Two of your teammates who are very talented need something a little different. Works in your budget. And that's totally fine because we're all rocket sauce. And that's a way, good way to go. Oh, Richard, it's been really fun having you on. Thank you so much totally. for Thank joining you. us. What resonates with me about Richard and his team is how they see it as their role to support fundraisers. They uplift their colleagues by analyzing trends so they can present them with information that is most likely to make their colleagues successful. As the availability of information continues to increase, the path forward for prospect development teams 
is to focus less on the breadth of information they deliver and more on boiling it down to the essential pieces that have the greatest impact on fundraising success. Thank you for listening to Fundraising Illuminated. We hope you'll join us for more engaging conversations on development topics. This podcast is produced by the Solus Group, proud Tableau partner in fundraising analytics firm. At Solus, we take the stress out of fundraising by helping our clients find their best prospects, manage their portfolios proactively, and make sure they take advantage of fundraising opportunities through the use of analytics tools. If you'd like to be a guest on Fundraising Illuminated, or if you'd like to share your thoughts on what our guests have to say, please visit our website at www.thesolusgroup.com and click on the link that says podcast. Thank you again for joining us and have a great rest of your day.